Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hello Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money, I'm Glenn James and if you're new to the podcast, My Millennial Money, we're a group of people, we want to help you sort your money out, we want to be an encouragement for you with your money, we want to help you to stay out of consumer debt because that's really a trap in this day and age. If you've never heard me before, I'm not a journalist, I'm not an influencer, I'm not a blogger, I'm barely a person. However, I am a retired financial advisor. I was a financial advisor for 12 years. Uh, I had my own practice and I've helped hundreds and hundreds of people over the years really nail their money and that led me to do the podcast. So I would trust you're in safe hands. Do we have all the answers? No. Will we have all the answers? No again. Will I probably offend you? It's probably a hard yes, but we're here now. And today on the episode, we've got a guest host, Azaria Bell, who is the host of the Gen Z Money podcast. G'day, Azaria. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Glenn. So you're, uh, you've been hosting Gen Z Money for a while now. Uh, and that podcast, it really is for the under 24s. But I mean, I've, I've seen feedback of um, parents listening to it just because it's, uh, it's great encouragement anyway. What have you got coming up on the Gen Z Money podcast? Yeah, so this year we're really ramping it up. I'm super excited about some of the content we've got coming up. Um, so the two biggest things, we have a first home buyers mini series coming up where I'm interviewing some property experts to talk about how to get into your first home and answering some questions that the community has. So that's going to be really good. And then we're also going to be doing an intro to investing mini series as well, just explaining the basics of investing, how it works, what different options are out there, um, and just kind of familiarizing people with that process because as you would know, starting is usually the hardest part when it comes to investing. So lots of great content coming up and we're really excited to put it all out. That's so good. And we're so lucky to have you part of the podcast world. Thank you, Glenn. You provide a lot of value. Now- Thank you. We're halfway through February. If you're a a current listener, this episode's going live on the 16th. We actually didn't end up doing a Valentine's Day special episode because to be honest, I just couldn't herd the cats together. We're recording this- a couple of days before Valentine's Day. Zari, do you have any plans? I do not. Another Valentine's oh. Day single. <laughs> but I'll be away with some friends for a little mini holiday, so don't have to think too much about it. <laughs> no worries. We'll celebrate at the Gold Coast live event. And if you That's uh, are listening current, uh, on the Thursday night, the 25th of February... We're doing a live event on the Gold Coast, so uh, make sure you grab some tickets and we'll have a lot of fun with you. So you guys write in your questions and we get them a lot and we love them because it makes for great content because we can't think of some of this stuff and it's amazing. 
Send your questions to questions at mymillennial.money. Uh, if you want to record an audio question, we'll use that as well. But please don't make it a 15-page uh, speech. Azaria, what uh, what questions have we got today? Do you want to choose one on that list there? Yeah. So, first one we've got here is from Samara, which is a cool name. She said, how do you afford big holidays while paying off a mortgage? Ooh, that's... Um, I think before we answer that... Do you reckon like you could explain how, like generally speaking, that you pay for holidays yourself? Yeah, I have a separate account just for holidays. Obviously, it's been quite dry lately with COVID. I haven't really been putting any money in there. And I used a bit of that to fund my recent moving. But yeah, so I've always had a separate account just for holidays that I throw money into because that's really important for me. Traveling overseas, um, at least, well, hopefully at least once a year was always a priority. So yeah, separate account. What about you? Yeah, I kind of, I do the same, but I just want to ask you another question. Uh, You currently pay rent at the moment or do you own a house outright? You capitalist. I rent, (laughs) I rent my apartment. Yeah. I I rent someone else's, another capitalist apartment. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to call you a capitalist pig, but I'm like, oh, I better not call Zaria a pig. But uh, so I guess, yeah, first, what I want to get at, and I think first and foremost, we both have a money system and whether we're paying off a mortgage or paying rent, it's generally a budget line item in our life, regardless Mm -hmm. whether it's a mortgage or whether it's rent, right? Yeah. So how I like to think about these things is I first do my spending plan and work out how much I've got left over each week, each fortnight or each month, like whatever you you want to do because we've all got these baseline expenses. Like we've all got rent, we've all got transportation, we've all got uh, food, clothing, uh, we've all got Netflix bill, uh, we've all got day-to-day entertainment. So most of us living in this society have these baseline expenses. And what I then kind of do is work out, well, these are my baseline expenses that have met, which might include some short-term savings, okay, uh, for Christmas or ad hoc gifts throughout the year. Then what we need to work out is how much is left over after we've done our budget. And, you know, if there's nothing left over, it actually means you've probably got no money uh, to put towards goals or paying down your mortgage. So the way I like to think about this it's not really how do you afford big holidays while paying off a mortgage. It's how do you prioritize money in your life? And you first need to know, and this is just, I'll, I'd like your opinion on this, Azari, but when I kind of budget, I like to do a bit of a, a top-down approach, which basically is income in, less expenses equals what's left over. Mm-hmm. And some people like to go, well, I get paid, I'm going to save that and then I'll sort whatever's left over. So, it can be the opposite side. Yeah. So, kind of, and this is just how I do it personally, is I want to make sure all my, st- all my needs are met first and then whatever's left over, I have to go, okay, so I've got, I'll make a number up, $500 a month left over. I do want to go on a big holidays. I do want to pay down my mortgage or put extra on my mortgage. I might say, well, each month, I'll put half of what's left over towards a short-term goal, which is a holiday, and half is what's left over towards a, a big financial goal, which might be paying off the mortgage or even contributing it to superannuation. Uh, how do you see the world when you do your own budget, 
Yeah, I'm similar. I have my bills and because I'm fortunate enough to get paid the same amount every week, I can pretty much plan ahead. ahead. So I know exactly how much I need to put into my bills account um, and I treat my savings as a bill as well. So I consider that gone as soon as that comes in, that goes straight into savings and I can spend what's left. And I think a lot of people have the approach of spending what's left after bills and then saving what's left at the end of the week. If I were to do that, I would never have any savings. Um, So I only have in my transaction account what I can spend for that week. And as soon as that's over, no more spending. Yeah. And I think it just, it so speaks to having a system that works for you because there's not uh, the way, there's a way that works Mm -hmm. for you. Um, Yeah. That's right. But on this one, Glenn, if we're thinking out Mm. of the box with Samara's question of affording big holidays, if she's saying big holidays, meaning, you know, upwards of two weeks, have you ever looked Mm. into options for um, letting someone stay in your house and renting it out for a short period of time while you go on holiday? Is that something you've done in the past? I haven't personally uh, because I am fortunate enough to be okay financially and the trade-off of taking maybe... I don't know, I'll make an up, rent out my house for two weeks at $600 a week. For $1,200 for me, I I just don't care about the drama of organising someone or Airbnb mm. and having weirdos in my house and all that. Uh, I know the lady that lives in my complex, uh, she, because we're near the beach, and uh, when she goes away, she literally um, puts her house on stays or whatever and has a cleaner come and, and she actually pays for a holiday by doing that. Mm. So... I think that's a really good thing that you um, that you bring up, Azaria. And I did know a friend who was living in Sydney, and they got into the house swap thing internationally. Given it's oh, a, it's probably that's cool. not happening, um, yeah, with COVID, but um, particularly for those, I think it can work with people who work remotely, and you know, you might want to find someone in France to do a, a, a six week house swap with. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's certainly an option, and we should actually. Please reach out to us. Uh, we did try and get a professional house sitter on, but that fell through. Reach out to us if you've had experiences with this whole um, house swapping thing, because it'd be cool to have a bit of a chat about. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Uh, are you keen to think more outside the box with this? Yeah, I was just thinking because I'm going away for a week into stay and it just feels like such a uh, waste of rent having this place be empty. So I was even thinking just getting a friend to stay here for yeah. free or something. But yeah, for, in Samara's case, that could be a good way to keep the mortgage being paid off and also holiday at the same time. Yeah. And I believe it goes without saying that uh, you'll never hear from my mouth the words get a loan uh, or a personal loan to go on a holiday with. I love bagging out flight centers promotions where they say you've deserved this big holiday. So have it on us 0% interest free. Uh, so yeah, it's certainly something that we want to cash flow. And and this is the cool thing, Azaria. If we say that we're not just running to debt for every problem in our life, aka a holiday is a problem. Oh, I need to run to debt. You actually get more creative. And that could be the whole, I'll get a, a friend in and or a couch surfer in for just a couple of weeks or I think if you do keep away from debt, it really will make you more creative. Yep, I absolutely agree, for sure. We've got another question here from Pauline, and she said, what are the benefits and potential issues with buying a property that has strata fees? I've, I've got some personal experience with this. I, I own the house that I live in and another investment property that's uh, a strata title. And basically what that means is there could be one single big block and it's carved up and it's kind of got a subtitle, which they call strata. And we all fund, uh, 
you know, the property maintenance. So anything on the outside of the building, any common areas, so driveway, any insurances, we basically all chip into the kitty and fund that. Now, I guess the potential issues or benefits, the benefits are a lot of the time, if you're buying strata, if it's a townhouse or a unit in a, in a place, it, the actual purchase price will be cheaper because it's not as if you're buying a freehold thousand square meter block or a 600 square meter block with one good house on it that, you know, $1.5 million, you might be able to buy a townhouse next door, which is a smaller thing, strata for 600,000 or 700,000. So they're the real kind of advantages. Um, and it could be low maintenance. Uh, you know, we've got really small yards and I, I mean, I don't think there's any more benefits uh, than that, that it's cheaper. Do you have any benefits to mind? Um, you might not have no, a view I on think it. The- particularly comes to mind, I guess you don't have to be the one to arrange all the maintenance. Someone else is kind of doing that for you, which is good. Yeah. And this leads to um, usually what will happen. So where I live, there's three of us. We don't have an external company that manages the strata. We all oh, just say, look, the building insurance is due. Uh, okay, everyone, we're just going thirds, uh, transfer Glenn the money and he'll pay it. So hmm. that's kind of one thing. But if you got more than three or four people, generally speaking, there's companies that manage strata and they call it like the body corporate and they'll come in and hold the annual meetings or the quarterly meetings and have the owners there say, all right, the front uh, fence where the letterbox is needs painting. Um, And then you had this kind of formal meeting. The issues, the potential issues, I believe, are the strata fees, okay? Now, strata fees in a complex could be the... uh, lawn person who does the common areas mowing. It could be, if it's a bigger complex, someone who comes every week and takes all the bins out. Uh, It could be, geez, if there's a a common pool, it could be that. If there's a common barbecue area. So all this stuff, Mm -hmm. as a body corporate, we want to live in this place, make sure it's all maintained and I don't have to take the bins out and all that and insurance. So we tally that up throughout the year and say, yeah, it's going to cost X amount. Now, each individual unit has to pay X amount every quarter into a fund and they call that an administrative fund that covers the day-to-day stuff. Mm. Now, yeah. the, the the potential issue with buying strata, I believe longer term, and to be honest, I, you know, I've got two strata properties, a third one cooking at the moment that's ready in April. I am done with strata. Like I'm just not buying any more investment properties strata. I hope like yeah. because it's just... It's just the drama factor and not that it's bad, but what happens is with older buildings, so because strata is responsible for the external of the property, so if we had a bit of tin or a side fence or whatever blow off, uh, we would have to cover that. If the building need painted, strata pays for that. If you drive a hole through the gyp rock in your kitchen, you pay for that because Mm -hmm. internal is yours. The problem is with older buildings when we need to do big maintenance stuff is they call it a sinking fund. So they say, look, we think in three years time, we're going to need $10,000 to fix the roof. Everybody, we all agree at the body corporate meeting that we have to put an extra, I don't know, $300 each aside every quarter into the sinking fund. So that's kind of a high level. And I'm sure the My Millennial Property Podcast has done something a little bit deep dive at deep dive with strata. Uh, but 
it's just one of those things. It is a way to get into property uh, at a cheaper rate. You know, I did good out of my place. I've been vocal that when I purchased it, I got a good price. I think it increased $300,000 within the first three years, like hundred grand a year, like bam, bam, bam. Do I regret buying this strata property? Hell no, it printed money. Uh, <laughs> but that was more because it was a right place, right time and, um, and all that stuff. So it's just one of those things, get information, uh, have a listen to John and Emily on the My Millennial Property Podcast. And I will say while we're talking about John, he's traveling around New South Wales uh, and he's hard to get. So over the coming weeks, uh, there'll be a couple of guest hosts in like Azaria uh, to keep this row on the show. Perfect. Love it. <laughs> and don't email me. I it said that on purpose, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a second to process what you just said. Um, yeah. Perfect. So the next question we have here is from Shell and she says, mm. what do you do if you get an inheritance? What should you focus on? So that's quite a broad question. Um, I guess the question is really, what would you do if you got a large sum of money? Mm. Firstly, Shell, can I have some money? Uh, <laughs> so, and before everyone has a go at me, an inheritance doesn't always mean someone's died. Um, so we got an email from a listener the other day. Hey, my dad has given all of us $500,000 as an early inheritance. Like um, wow. I should have replied, does he need another son? But I guess <laughs> in your life, because Azaria works in financial uh, advice, she's training to be a financial advisor. Like just from your own experience, if you got a phone call today and say, and it said, you know, there was a, a family member in England that, you know, you're the surviving, you know, person and, you know, he's a hundred grand. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing with it personally and why? Oh, that's a good question. I think for me, because uh, I I like my lifestyle, I like where I live, I'm happy with my, um, like, expenses are covered, I'm able to save and I don't intend on buying property. For me, it would probably just be as simple as investing that um, and parking it away for the long term. It's not, I wouldn't immediately have any great use for the money. Can't clearly travel anywhere. So just investing that as I do regularly with my excess money anyway. Mm. Pretty boring, but <laughs> it's an honest, honest answer. Yeah. Would you um, treat yourself at all? Um, I think... I think I treat myself small amounts regularly. So I don't really have anything that I mm. need. I wouldn't upgrade my car because I only drive my car maybe once or twice a week. Mm. Um, so no, there's nothing that I really, really would want. Um, mm. So I feel very fortunate in that way. What about yourself, Glenn? What would you do? Yeah, I've never personally received an inheritance before, but I guess as a uh, best practice rule of thumb, any unexpected money that appears in our life, I would probably be uh, more inclined to actually not do anything with it for six months. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really a fan of term deposits because the rates suck and the money's illiquid, which means you can't get it without breaking the term and maybe foregoing some interest. But I'd really consider, uh, throwing it on a six month term deposit. Uh, I would also consider if you don't want to do the term deposit, maybe set up an online bank that's literally out of sight, out of mind, locked away, six months, get on with your life, go and Mm -hmm. uh, just really process this. Because with an inheritance, I had a friend whose dad died and we grew up together and he got an inheritance and his dad died early, under 60. And I said to him, you know, whatever you do, mate, like don't buy things that depreciate 
mm. with the inheritance. If yeah. you put it aside, invest in a property, invest in stocks, invest in super or whatever, that money will never ever disappear. And that's kind of a legacy. So I think we have some type of responsibility to be a good steward of that money. And so after we've done the six months, I think it is, you know, you just really then run up the the usual financial uh, steps. Like I'd probably think if you've got any consumer debt, you'd want to pay that off, but only paying that off on the proviso that you've made a pinky shake or whatever they do promise that you're not ever getting in consumer debt again. So yeah, maybe you could absolutely. use the inheritance as a line in the sand. I've got six months to really change my money behavior because I'm not dicking around anymore. Like I'm sick of living like this. Mm-hmm. So I'll clear some consumer debt. And I know it kind of is conflicting with, you know, don't throw it on uh, discretionary stuff that could go down in value. That's why I said you really need to make sure that you never go into consumer debt again and really sort out your money. So then that excess money that was going towards debt repayment can go towards your long-term financial goals because often long-term financial goals, are, I want to save and buy a house. I want to save and invest. So that's what I'd probably do. Uh, clear consumer debt. Um, if you want to enjoy some of it, that's actually okay as well. Like yeah, I'm not really anal. Good. I'm just saying, look, the lion's share of the money you want to make sure that's invested so it never, ever disappears. So it is a blessing to your life. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen plenty of people receive inheritances in my time in financial planning, but the one that sticks out most to me was before I was in financial planning, I was a bank teller. And one of our customers, he must have been maybe 19 or 20. His father had passed away and he received quite a big inheritance, much more than he would have ever have had in his life. And every week he'd come in to withdraw some more money because his hobby was fixing up cars. Totally valid hobby. However, it took about six months until that money was completely depleted and he had nothing left. And every time we'd come in, we'd encourage him to speak to our financial advisor and wasn't obviously interested. And people have different ways of dealing with grief as well. For him, Mm. that could have been a really great distraction for him um, after Mm. his father had passed away. But I think it is also really important, depending on the amount you get and your confidence to consider speaking to a financial advisor who can actually talk to you, sit you down and talk to you about your goals and be that accountability partner who can make sure you're doing the right thing with that money. Yeah. And as well, I think if you are younger and you haven't established your life yet, it's okay not to do anything with it. Mm-hmm. You know, in my estate plan, you know, if I die prematurely before I have a spouse, I have said, you know, because I've got a butt ton of life insurance linked to my TPD insurance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I die early, the kids get, I think, 200 grand each or something like that on the proviso that they're over 20. I think, no, I think I did 30, I forget. But it's like, oh, wow. I think 30 years old and they can't be on drugs. They can't be in jail. And mm-hmm. because you don't want, the inheritance to blow up someone's life. Yeah, exactly. And another thing I just thought I'd check as well, Glenn, before we move to the next question, for anyone listening who might not be sure, what are the tax consequences when it comes to inheritance? Do you have to declare that on your tax return or is this a tax-free? Yeah, in Australia, there's no inheritance tax. uh, But I mean, there's a lot of people that get inheritance from overseas. I worked with a a client uh, 10 years ago, they received like maybe $20 million from overseas and there was tax consequences, but 
generally speaking, if the money lands, once it's landed in your account, it would be tax-free. Likewise, if someone died and there was a super benefit and you received money uh, from the super fund and you weren't a financial dependent or under 18, there would be a tax element. But I would certainly imagine that would be put to bed before you receive that money. Um, And it's like one of those things, I'm right, but still see your accountant. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And the next question's on a similar vein. So this must be something that's actually happened. So Meanie has asked, what happens when your family deliberately liquidates your deceased parents' hedge fund and you only discovered about your inheritance after they dissolved it into the family fund after you turned 21? This is a heavy question. It is. And... (sighs) I think uh, deceased parents hedge fund, I would imagine that it's probably a trust fund because I don't really hear that term in Australia or in America unless it's actually an investment fund. Mm -hmm. Look, that's a complex question. It's like one of those things, right? If you just, if you, and I can't talk for this girl's situation, but practically speaking, Azaria, if you turn 21 and you found out that they dissolved the trust and they took the money and they spent it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we had the best time overseas holidays and blew all the money. I mean, if they've got no money and they've blown it up the wall or smoked it up the wall or sniffed it up the wall or whatever (laughs) they do up the wall with it, you're you're probably not getting it back. Because like, yeah, sure, you could take them to court. But if they've got no money, how are you going to get anyway? Um, yeah. I, get, I probably should say my motherhood statement would be you need to see an estate planning lawyer and you need to see an estate planning lawyer yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but effectively, if there was uh, some dicking around and, you know, they did cook the books or move it in certain places, um, if there is still wealth on the table, um, I don't have any idea about sunset clauses with challenging estates. And that's why I think we probably should just move on and say, speak to your estate planning lawyer. Uh, And if you are in New South Wales and you need to speak to one, uh, just reach out on Instagram and we can refer you to Aubrey Brown lawyers who we've had on the podcast before. And for every lawyer listening, I probably butchered that. So you're welcome. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a very specific question that I'm sure has a lot of variables that would be best discussed with a professional who can give that tailored advice we're going to take a quick break i need a water so i'll be back do you have to azari's on her lunch break do you have to get back to work no no i'm good oh sweet um (laughs) and we're going to come back and talk about uh principal and interest and how to quit your job now before we do we've actually just launched my millennial coffee so if you love coffee you love having whole beans at home jump on to the website there's a link in the show notes my millennial coffee i've put this together with Glee Coffee Roasters, I worked out you could probably save between $19 and $36 a week if you're a big-time coffee drinker by making it at home or if you're in an office, tell your boss that this is really yummy coffee and uh, you can check out My Millennial Coffee. We'll be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
Okay, welcome back. Glenn, we have a question from Aaron here. Aaron asked, what are the benefits of an interest-only loan versus a principal and interest loan when it comes to investment properties? Why would you choose one versus the other? Well, this was probably financial planning 101. What would you say, Azaria, if your brother asked you that? And hello to your brother, because I know he listens to the show sometimes. He does. Yeah, he'll be stoked to hear this. Um, I guess, I mean, Glenn, you'd be the expert on this because you have owned properties yourself. I, I guess it just depends on your goals. What have you found that most people do who have investment properties? I know that obviously interest is tax deductible as an investment property, so there's that incentive. But I guess why would you be paying down your principal if you're not planning on, you know, keeping it forever? Yeah, so that's kind of, um, you know, I want to buy an invest. I want to buy fifteen investment properties in three years. Back off, guys! Like that type of vibe and that type of strategy. Yeah. It's pretty much uh, we borrow, we do interest only because it frees up cash flow, mm-hmm. and then we can put that money into possibly another property. So yeah. that's kind of a broad thing. Investment property strategies. I would probably say I don't know, uh, but maybe a mortgage broker. And hello to all the mortgage brokers. We love you certainly the ones that don't listen to this podcast, but some might automatically by default assume that because you've got an investment property, you want principal and interest. So as you said correctly, uh, an investment property, the interest you pay, so let's just get my calculator. Uh, We've borrowed uh, $365,000 times, I'll just do 4% because interest only investment property is a higher interest rate um, Mm -hmm. than principal and interest. Yeah. That's $14,600 a year just in interest in that first year-ish, give mm-hmm. or take. So, instantly you'd be claiming that on tax. Now, if you were paying, um, actually, let me just get my uh, mortgage calculator app, mortgage repayment calculator. And everyone just chat amongst yourself. How, how's everyone <laughs> going today? Azari, while I load this, say hello to a random listener who might be listening in a random city in Australia. Shall I make up a name and place? Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's play it safe and say, hello, Jessica from the Gold Coast. I hope you're having a wonderful day. I hope you've signed up to come along to our meetup. And I hope everyone who's listening from Brisbane has also signed up and is willing to make the drive to the Gold Coast so that I can have some fellow Brisbaneites there. So good. So good. (laughs) Okay. So I put $360,000 and hello, Jessica, um, into the calculator, I did 4% interest and the interest rate was, uh, here we go. Yeah. So it comes out to 14,400 in this calculator. So if I go 14,400 and then I change it to principal and interest, that works out to be uh, 1,900 uh, a, mu- um, a month. So if we go 1900 times 12, so that's 22,800. So we know each year 14,400 of this $360,000 loan of interest only would be claimed on tax. If we did principal and interest, we would be paying 22,800, which is 8,400 a year more mm-hmm. because you're paying that down on the mortgage. Yeah. So instantly we know that interest only will give us more cash flow. That will basically free up um, $161 a week. So 
it's important to know as well that those principal repayments into the mortgage are not tax deductible. That's literally just, I receive the money and I put an extra $160 a week into the investment property mortgage. So yeah, the the normal, let's just have a look at the question here. Uh, Benefits uh, when it comes to investment properties, why would you choose one or the other? Okay, so I personally, when I first got my home loan, not even investment property, I was starting a business. It was on interest only because I just wanted to grab the home. I was building a business. I needed extra money to live and all that. Uh, So it was a pure cash flow play. Yeah. First investment property, I think it was interest only. I can't remember. Again, pure cash flow play. As my career has increased, as I've uh, been able to earn more money, um, I've actually flicked all my properties to principal and interest. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of reasons. Is one, it's a cheaper interest rate because APRA tapped the banks on the shoulder 18 months ago, a year, whenever it was, and said to the banks, you've got to slow down investment properties and they went, okay, well, we'll just make interest only loans a higher interest rate. Mm-hmm. So it's a cheaper interest rate. Number two for me, it's actually forced savings. And yep. because I was gonna I'm ask a spender. You, Glenn, forced savings, yeah, I was yeah. going to say that sounds about right for you. Yep. <laughs> yeah, because I'm a bloody <laughs> spender. And that's why I pump my super because it's locked away from my dirty mitts for you know, years and years. <laughs> And I put all my loans on principal and interest because at least I'm paying down the mortgage. Mm-hmm. So it, and it goes back to personal finance. It's personal. And, you know, someone might say to me, you're an idiot, Glenn. Why would you do that? You don't know anything. I would say, shut up. It's what I'm doing. And this is why. And it's all yep. good that it's different. So, yeah, I think we've uh, rounded that out. Oh, it's so weird being a spender, right? So actually, we'll do an after party today. Okay, we'll save perfect. this for the after party. Okay, what's the last money question? So the last question is somewhat money related. Um, Isabella asks, how to quit your current job? Now, I'm happy to take this one, Glenn. This is something that I got some experience in. <laughs> yeah, and, and I will say, I, I know that Isabella that wrote this in, and I'm sorry, but I think you wrote it in a while ago because our question bank is so big. I know she's got a new job, so she got out of there. Oh, congratulations, so. Isabella. That's awesome. <laughs> But for anyone who might be listening who would like to quit their current job, a few tips I would have is no matter what your circumstances are or what terms you're on with your job. So you might be in a workplace that's toxic or somewhere that you really hate and you just want to get out of. Do all that you can to put that aside and leave as professionally and neutrally as you can. So for myself, whenever I've left jobs, I've written a resignation letter and I've always always thanked them for their time, for all the things that I've learned and been very, very positive, even if at the time of writing the letter, I didn't actually feel that way. If you can just put aside the urge to be vengeful or, you know, stick the knife in, you're going to be much better off and you're going to have those people to fall back on in the future. So it's don't, don't burn your bridges at any cost. Um, you never know when you might need those people or when they can introduce you to someone. So just quit as amicably as possible, I would say. Mm. What about yeah, you, I think it's good. I always think it's better to do it uh, face-to-face verbally. But, you know, if any of my team are listening as they kind of uh, edit this podcast and proof it and glitch check it before it goes out, I would, as an employer, I would always hope that it's not a surprise to me. Like... Mm. For two reasons. One, if there could have been one small thing six months ago that that person wasn't happy with, we could have resolved it. 
because if they like their career and love what they're doing, well, there's heaps of different jobs in that career, right? So mm. it, it could be something that could be resolved. Um, so we just don't want to get to this point where we just explode like a volcano. Um, so I would just, if you're starting to get a bit weird or there's something that's not quite right, have the conversation with your employer. And then again, like as my team, like I've said to a lot of them, I'm like, and in this business and the last one, it's like, if you let me know, like I'm well connected in this industry, I'll help you. Like Mm -hmm. it's all good. Let's just have some conversation. Uh, so I think you're right, uh, Azaria, it's just that as much as it sucks that human decency sometimes you've got to fall on your sword for the greater good i mean there was an anonymous post in the facebook the other day and the girl uh and i know it was a girl because she sent the anonymous post and i happened to see it when it came through she was getting bullied and harassed at work and while i didn't read all of it it actually seemed like a weird systemic thing how the management didn't care yeah and in those types of situations maybe it is just like hey i'm tapping out you've been real, you know, keep it brief. Don't try and go on this journey to change them because they're not changing. But yeah, some places you do have to get out of and you have to get out of their ASAP. Um, but like anything, to quit your current job, you might also need a reference. And mm-hmm. I think that's why it's healthy to have a bit of a discussion with your boss to say, look, I need to move to here for these reasons for growth. I don't think I can get them here. This is a journey. It's not tomorrow. It might be, you know, in a month. Can you work with me on this? Uh, to be honest, Shell and M from the My Millennial Career podcast are probably better to answer that one. Yeah, I have another thing I just wanted to add as well is if you're um, handing in your notice and maybe you've got a couple of weeks left at that workplace, I know how tempting it is to just slow down on your work because you're mentally checked out. You know that in two weeks and one day's time, it's not going to be your problem anymore. But it really does, I think, and Glenn, you might be able to back this one up, make a lasting impact if you work hard up until your last day. I know um, one of the jobs that I left after a couple of years, it was the last few minutes of my role and I was still trying to smash out as much work as I could and make it as easy as possible for the next person to come into the role. And I know that they really appreciated that as well. Yeah, because I think, I don't know, that sense of personal dignity goes a long way for yourself. Because mm-hmm. I, I like to go to bed at night thinking that, you know what, I didn't have to apologise for that situation or I didn't mm-hmm. have to, I don't know, I'm a professional apologiser. I spend my time apologising to people because <laughs> I always like shoot first and aim later. But in yeah. some instances where I've genuinely been screwed and I've fallen on my sword, at least I can go to bed going, you know what, I did all I could and I didn't have to apologise, but I did. And yeah come at That's me. It. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, totally agree. Well, those are the questions that we have for today, Glenn. Um, anything else that we should add? No, we should get the hell out of here. I'll see you later, Azaria. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Glenn. <laughs> All right, and we'll do it. We might do an after party at the end of the show. Yeah, sounds good. All right, see you guys. If you uh, if you don't like the, the banter, you can turn this off now. Otherwise, we will uh, see you next week. Thanks, Azaria. Thanks, Glenn. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. 
If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. So, Azaria, you've not been on an after party before. Um, I'm excited. Should I get a drink? Have you, are you at your, you're obviously at a computer. Open a web browser. Yep. I want you to search Aviator Mm. Desk. Desk. Coco Republic. (laughs) Okay. Yep. Okay, bring up the Coco Republic website with the Aviator Valkyrie desk. Mm-hmm. Can you see yep, it? Got it? Oof, yep. What do you reckon? Oh, my God. <laughs> it looks horrible. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It looks um, like someone has managed to, like, patch, stitch together steel. What's with that? Yeah, it's like a, it's a plane wing. It's the aviator desk. It's a plane oh, wing. Oh, because you're a plane guy. Yeah, like an old school 50s desk. Mm, I see. It looks so cold and, and uninviting though. Yeah. And imagine you're resting oh. your hands on that while you're typing and your arms are getting sweaty. You thought about that? Yeah. Okay, so let's just um, give a bit of context. So for everyone, <laughs> you're still at your thingy, just Coco Republic or it's the Timoth- Timothy... Ulton, is that how you pronounce it? O-U-L-T-O-N? Yeah. Um, Aviator Valkyrie Desk. I wanted to buy this desk for the studio. Okay. Okay. Why? Now, go with me. So, I, I want to change our YouTube stuff and just do more me face the cam YouTube stuff, um, mm-hmm. not do like the whole show on YouTube because just it's a lot of work. Um, mm-hmm. And so, the, the studio walls, right, that that was like because Jess Pearson, like the designer, and we did some consulting with a media uh, lady the other day, and she's like, "What's with the studio wall? It doesn't seem like your brand and stuff." And I'm like, "Oh, can everyone just back off for one second? <laughs> like, <laughs> the 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 studio wall was never actually meant um, to be filmed, uh, believe it or not." Yeah. I when I had the other studio when we were just doing audio only. I, I said to Jason, my like, um, I guess, creative lead guy, whatever he is, hey, Jason, uh, I said, oh, I just want a big colourful wall. I just want a, you know, a bit of life in the room. Yeah. And then we ended up shooting um, YouTube anyway. And then we set up the studio here and I just said, oh, I'll just do that anyway. So I, I basically, I said to Jess, oh, what do you think about this desk? And she's like, uh, not really our <laughs> brand. Mm. Like, yeah, but mm-hmm. it's so good. And anyway, and then so she's like, oh, my gosh, that's going to – and I just said to them this morning, like I'm learning not to just go and buy stuff. I've been like, can I buy the desk? Can I buy the desk? Like, And I said to Jessica Naus, I'm like, oh, I, I need Jess's permission to buy this desk. I, I just want this to fit in with the M3 look. I don't care. Just make it happen. Like, please. Anyway, she's like all hesitant, like, oh. And, uh, and then my mate Dirty Mike, I sent him 
a message this morning and I'm like, hey, Mark, I'm getting this for my studio. What do you think? And he just replies the emoticon with like the single tear crying. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's no, exactly how question mark. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, basically the same as having a race car bed. <laughs> that, is, that is exactly it. I didn't know how to put you know, those words to it, but that is exactly what this looks like. Glenn, and could you do us this... the honour of explaining what you actually like about this desk? Apart from the I'm, fact that it looks okay. like a plane and you think planes oh, are really cool. Yeah. Well, uh, that's the only thing I like about it. I saw it like <laughs> years. I've seen it. I've, I've actually wanted it for years. I saw it at Coco Republic and I've always wanted to buy it. It's expensive. Not because mm. I want expensive stuff. It's just, I really liked it. Um, yeah. And it's on sale at the moment. And oh, for the bargain price of $5,000. <laughs> what a steal. But um, it weighs 84 kilos. Oh my it's gosh, like, it weighs more than me. Yeah, it's solid, right? Like it weighs my target weight, everyone. Um, <laughs> so anyway, he sends me back this Simpsons meme of like, can you see that? It's like this guy standing next to his oh, race yeah. car bed. Yeah. Yeah. And he, Millhouse is... And th- and then he changed it with the, the chair imposed in it with my head on it. Oh, it's probably out of focus, but but anyway. And then I'm like, all right, we're not doing it. And then I just said to um, Jess Pearson and the girls today, I'm like, hey, Dirty Mike basically said that. We're not doing the desk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you have someone to keep you in check, Glenn. <laughs> yeah. Dirty Mike's pretty good as well with like design and like style. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's been a real teaching point that I haven't just gone and done it. I've gone, you know what? I'll bring my team on the journey. Amazing. The growth is outstanding, Glenn. I'm very proud of you. Oh, so am I. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I want to I get like a desk. So, it's a desk and then like a chair or two on the side. Mm-hmm. So, when I host a podcast, it's like the Tonight Show vibes. It's like I've got a desk that I can use for like single stuff. And then if guests mm-hmm. come into the studio, they can sit on a lounge kind of opposite. Yeah. And then when the filming starts, are you going to be like arranging your papers like they do on the news as if they're actually reading anything? <laughs> no. Yeah, I am. But then I'm going to do the monologue in front of the camera. Yeah, it's like, what about yeah. that uh, Biden guy or something like that? Um, <laughs> yeah. So. Love it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So you're keen to help on the Gold Coast and hang out with us? Yes. Super keen. Yeah. So Did I ask you? I, I, uh, yeah, you just said I'll need some help and I just said I'll take that day off. Oh, wait, shall I yeah, stop recording? Sweet. Nah, it's the after party. Okay. We've got nothing to hide here. <laughs> yeah, I haven't told Phil yet, but that's, that's okay. If Phil says no to me, I'll just get him to message you. Just like you did exactly. with this episode. <laughs> I know. I t- everyone, I text Phil. So Azaria works with Phil Thompson, who's a financial advisor, who a lot of you have worked with. I said to him, hey, I need Azaria during the day for a podcast episode. <laughs> and he's and like, said, yeah, right. Do you give them breaks or are you a, a capitalist overlord? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> no, but he, okay, do you want to know what he said to me? I didn't tell you this. No, what did he say? He said, uh, I'd prefer not if I'm having a bit of trouble with her. Um, no, joking. <laughs> um, he said, <laughs> no, he said, if she wants to take an hour off, that's fine. And this was like at 6 or 7 p.m. She's like, she's actually still working. So I've got no problem oh. at all if she wants to be Oh, flexible. how good. <laughs> so I'm glad, I'm glad you're, my hard you're work a, is being noticed. Yeah, you're a hard worker and he's a, um, an appreciative boss. Love it. 
Love it. Well, yeah, super, super excited for that event. Yeah. So I'll see you on the Goldie. Uh, everyone get your tickets. Uh, if you're in Bris Vegas, we tried to do a last minute event, but um, just can't get a venue organized. And it's just so expensive. Actually, last time we did the Brisbane event, there was like 70 people there. And we'll come back and we'll, seriously, Brisbane was like one of the best events we've ever done. Wow. Um, I think it's because I had an open bar tab, um, but there was like 70 <laughs> people there. <laughs> and I'm just, That'll I had my it. card behind the counter and they're like, oh, do you want it just like beer? Or I was like, nah, I'll do whatever. Like, I don't care. It's all good. Oh, and it's like halfway through a talk, she comes up, she's like, oh, the bars are like $1,500 or something. And I'm like, oh, whatever. Um, <laughs> so these events, they're fun. And that's why the tickets are $55 because we'll feed you and we'll drink you and you'll have a great night. And we basically don't make anything out of them. I end up spending more on them, but I like to come and meet everyone face to face. So we'll um, we'll do, I think we'll do April in Brisbane. We'll get back awesome. to Melbourne. We'll do Sydney again. I'm, if, I don't know if Perth's open, uh, but I'll get over to Perth as well uh, before July and might do a little informal meetup. Um, might stop in Radelaide. I don't know. Maybe I should just drive and do a tour. Yeah, that'd be cool. A road trip. You. <laughs> All right. See ya. See ya. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.